This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, everyone, this is Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to The Courage Cast. I'm so glad to be with you today. I have some special guests. I am joined by our neighbors. Uh, my wife and I um, live in an amazing neighborhood, and I can't believe the quality of people that we have around us, and this is just one example of that. Um, I have Ridley and Lisa Barron joining me of Ridley Barron Ministries. You can find out all about them at RidleyBaron.com. I think the main message that uh, they want to give is that uh, this idea of hope, healing, and forgiveness, taking personal tragedy and using it for good. So without further ado, I'm going to allow Ridley and Lisa to share their story. Well, I am so honored and thankful that I'm sitting here with Ridley and Lisa Barron, my neighbors, and I look forward to getting to know you better as friends in our conversation. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Eric. We're glad to be here. So I had no idea I had such amazing people as neighbors. I had no idea. Now, I had heard um, kind of through the grapevine, hey, you need to go talk to Ridley and hear his story. He's got an amazing story. Kind of when I first we first moved into town, and moved into the neighborhood. Um, so uh, I'm anxious to just dive right into this, and uh, cool. you know, get to know you better and and hear your story straight from. We really appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So you you have spawned uh, and are part of a an amazing ministry um, that came from a, a very tough and difficult place. Yes. Right. So, uh, so let's start for where, where would you like to start? I want to, I want to kind of get to the origins of the, where you are. I want to get to where you are now, but I would like to hear sort of how this all started. So Ridley, maybe you could share a little bit of your story. Uh, in 2004, I had, uh, just planted a church a few years before was living in Southeast Georgia. I had recently received a call from a former church asking me to move back to the Nashville area. So uh, we were coming back to start a new church. And this is you and your family? Me and my family. Mm -hmm. Uh, My wife and I had just wrapped up a spring break trip with our kids, still in southeast Georgia at this time. And on the way home from the trip, about five minutes from our house, we were hit by three guys in a Ford Explorer who ran a stop sign going 55 miles an hour. Um, The impact killed my wife instantly. Uh, It uh, in the, the flipping over the vehicle, my 17 month old son was thrown out of the vehicle, hmm. uh, still in his car seat, but he was unconscious, had a really bad head injury. And the decision was made very quickly to send him to a larger hospital in Savannah, Georgia, about two hours from where we lived, uh, over the course of the next four days, obviously in the process of trying to heal from our own physical wounds and trying to deal with the emotional loss of my wife, um, very thankful that my son was beginning to show some signs of improvement and, and beginning to heal a little bit, but there was still a lot of uncertainty. And then on day five, we were called back to the hospital with a sense of urgency because they had over-medicated my son, giving him five times the, the dose of medication he should have received. Uh, when I got to the hospital, was forced to make a call on whether or not to try to keep him alive artificially, and uh, basically that day lost my son because of a medication error. Wow. 
so immediately, um, my faith was put into this huge crucible um, to begin to think and process, okay, what, what does it mean? You've been preaching for years about faith, about forgiveness, about moving on. What does that look like? And quite honestly, I would get up every single Sunday, would preach sermons to my church family as I was still pastoring, mm-hmm. and I would come home Monday through Saturday and question a whole lot of the stuff that I had been preaching myself really yeah yeah and so i would sit there night after night in a recliner that had been given to me by a friend i would stare out the back window of my house and i would ask god some really really tough questions um about the whys and the what's and the what nows Mm -hmm. so as i began to do that began to unwrap that began to process that uh, i came to some very quick conclusions uh number one god had not abandoned me Mm -hmm. um in fact, if anything, he was going to walk through this with me. Number two, the best way to get to the place where God could use me again was to start by forgiving the lady who had killed my son with the medication error and forgiving the guy who had hit us in that, that day in that accident because that was the only way I was going to be able to embrace the future God had for me. Now, were you, were you, uh, just kind of, uh, just kind of stopping there for yeah, a minute? Absolutely. You were, let me clarify something. So before the accident, the reality was you were you were kind of still questioning a lot of the stuff you were preaching. No, no, no. This was after the accident. After the, the accident, accident, I pretty much lived in a in a, a storybook kind of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a pastor. I had three kids. I had a nine year old, a six year old, and a seventeen month old. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a beautiful wife. Been married twelve years, and we literally were getting to do something we had dreamed about, which was to come back to Middle Tennessee to start a new church and get to live in a place that we loved and enjoyed. I, mean, yeah. we were, I remember the day before the accident when we got the phone call, when the church, our former church said, hey, we want you to come back and start a church for us in this area. Hmm. I remember looking at my wife and saying to her, they want us to come. What do you think? And she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, I'm excited. I get. I feel like I'm getting to go home. Hmm. And uh, that thought came back to me about a week later after the accident, just the, hmm. the profoundness of that statement and what she getting said. Getting to go home. Day. Yeah. So, um, the Lord had other plans. So, so, so you came back from that horrific experience Mm -hmm. and started pastoring again, or did you need some time off? I did. Uh, actually I, after the accident, I, I said to my former church here, I said, um, let me pray about this. Obviously things, you know, are up in the air and they said, absolutely take as long as you want. It only took me probably about three weeks. I picked up the phone. I called him. I said, you know what? God said he wanted me to come there to do this. He just didn't tell me it was going to be without my wife. Right. I'm going to go ahead and follow through. So me and my two surviving children from the accident moved back to Middle Tennessee to start a church. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law, who actually lived in the area in southeast Georgia with me, they picked up their family moved here to help wow. me raise my two surviving children. Um, I pastored for seven years, but what was going on behind the scenes during that seven years was the formation of this ministry you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I had... Uh, immediately said to the hospital that I wanted to make sure that they knew that pharmacist, uh, that she knew that I had forgiven her. Okay. That, that was like the week later no, kind no, of the thing? next day, the next Literally day, the day after my son died, uh, I, I asked them to communicate to that pharmacist. Mm. That was my thought. Okay. Um, over the next few weeks, it was a little bit harder to continue with that. And even 12 years later, I, I try to tell people, you know what? Forgiveness is not a decision you make and then you're done. Mm-hmm. It literally is something you have to go on with the rest of your life because there are moments and days, even 12 years, 13 years later, where I am um, trying to 
to process what forgiveness looks like on an almost a moment by moment basis sometimes. That's a relief to hear because <laughs> yeah. to hear that you forget, you made the decision to uh, forgive, right? Right. But then it's living it out. Yeah. Uh, that sometimes can be yeah. the real struggle. Well, and the, and, and the strange thing about it is, I, you know, I told you my wife died instantly. The Saturday morning after the accident, I was still in the hospital and they brought my oldest son who had survived the accident into the room to see me that day. And I remember as he came in that room, um, thinking to myself, and I believe that God put this thought in my heart. I remember thinking to myself, that boy and his brother and sister, because my youngest was still alive at that point, mm-hmm. they are going to need a good daddy for the rest of their life. And I can't be the daddy they need if I choose to hold on to bitterness. Right. So at that moment, God was already helping me to forgive a driver, but it was already preparing me for what was going to be an even mm. harder test, and that was forgiving a pharmacist that made a mistake. Okay. Um, and, and that's that's where all this ministry emanated from. When I made that communication to the hospital, the hospital almost immediately reached back to me. A vice president that was at the hospital who was a believer himself mm-hmm. said, I, I appreciate what you've said. I appreciate what you've conveyed. Would you be willing to come speak to our hospital? Wow. And so when I jumped at the opportunity, I went in about eight months after my son died, went and spoke at the hospital, and long story short, that turned into more and more opportunities to the point where last year I spoke 63 times all over the country in hospitals, big and small, you know. It's amazing. Place. Yeah. And so they they have you come in and um, and talk about forgiveness? Or talk about what do they? Well, what do you talk about? I joke and laugh. They're getting me to come talk to them about patient safety, you know, what it's like to be the the victim of one of their mistakes, which is all very, very important and obviously a concern I have. But on the side, I think most of them understand there's this element of grace and this element of moving beyond that they want to hear from me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I jokingly tell them they're paying a patient safety expert to come talk about God's grace and mercy in the midst of trial. <laughs> so uh, that's what I do. And, and, you know, I feel like that God has honored that in the sense that even though I've been in some of the largest, most secular hospitals in America, I've never once had a complaint about the faith element that's a part of it. Mm-hmm. Does talking about uh, your experience help you with the forgiveness? Does talking about the commitment that you made to forgive, the choice you made to forgive, does that help as part of the healing process? Actually, it, it, I think it makes it harder. It's like ripping a scab off an old wound over and over and over again, and uh, that's why my new wife, Lisa, who's been such an integral part of this for the last nine years, uh, is so huge. She she comes alongside of me and helps me take what could easily be living in the past and bring it back to the future and, okay, how do we look forward? How do we keep moving forward as a family? How do we keep moving mm-hmm. forward as a couple? And, and that's just a critical part of it because it would be real easy to just get so absorbed in the past that I never could embrace what God has for our future. Well, let's bring Lisa in here. Absolutely. Lisa, um, tell me uh, how you and Ridley met oh, and a little bit about your background, I guess, as well. So the my story is that I've been married twice before, and the second marriage, um, my husband had an affair and walked out on my girls and I, so I pretty much thought that I was done and would not marry again, but it took a long season of healing, and um, about the time, a couple months after my husband walked out at that time, I heard about Ridley's car accident from a mutual friend. And she said, you might want to pray for that 
dad because he's a single parent like you are right now. And she told me that he lived around the corner in another subdivision from me, and it was on my way to work. And every day for three years, I drove by and prayed for him and his kids. Never saw him in the yard. We've joked because Ridley loves to be outside, but I never saw him outside, so I thought he was depressed and staying inside (laughs) all the time. But um, it wasn't until three years later we met, and um, I knew when somebody tried to set us up on a date that God was maybe up to something, even though I was hesitant mm-hmm. because I had prayed for him for, for three years. Now, when you were introduced to him, so you were set up on a date together, a blind date, a blind date. Mm-hmm. Did you know that this was the guy you were praying for? So the way that that happened, we, I actually was the third wheel on a Valentine's date because I was the single girl that my friends felt sorry for. <laughs> and I went to the Viking cooking school to a class to learn how to cook uh-huh. and was not enjoying myself. But there were only 10 people there, and two of the 10 people happened to be his sister and brother-in-law that moved oh. up here with him. Okay. So after we had done our cooking and we were eating our meal, they started telling how they came to this area, and my friend nudged me and said, this is the guy you've been praying for. for. Wow. Yeah, and at the time I was in real estate, so... Ridley, for three years, had been going to the Kroger grocery store near his house where I was advertising for real estate. Really? So while she was praying for me, I literally was seeing her face every week on a Kroger grocery cart, <laughs> thinking, wow, she's an attractive lady, but I'll never meet this woman. That's, <laughs> so. that's hilarious. So when they called him and told him my name, he said, that's the chick on the grocery cart. <laughs> and he agreed to go. So I guess that was a good thing. Yep. Absolutely. She looks good on the grocery cart. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna see, take my chances in person. I'm a huge fan of cart advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. That's cool. That's yeah. so cool. So you, that's how you met. You, you came out of a lot of brokenness. You have two girls, I'm assuming, or yes, three, or one from each marriage. Okay. So you come into this relationship quite a quite broken at this point Very as well much so trust was a huge thing for me I, I honestly had resolved that I wouldn't get married again because I didn't know that I could trust anybody mm-hmm. and um, Ridley has been amazing at retraining my heart and my brain on trusting people tell me how that how you've gone about doing that because that's a pretty big deal yeah it is. It's huge. And honestly, I had to learn some things myself before I could even begin to help her. And part of that was respecting where she had been, mm-hmm. not denying it. Mm-hmm. Um, to deny it would have only allowed those seeds of distrust and everything to continue to grow. Right. But by respecting it and understanding what she had been through and expect, uh, respecting those triggers that came into her life, I learned there were some small changes in my life that I could make that would help her feel better about things as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? Accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, that's been a practice of mine ever since we met, literally, was that there are no secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, she has every email password I have. She knows every account I have. She's mm-hmm. got permission to pick up my phone at any point and look at anything that she wants to. She can ask questions and know that she's going to be heard and respected. Um, and I have those same privileges with her as well, but it's more important for her to have that for me because she knows that there's this transparency that's sure. going to give her the opportunity to, to ask what she needs to, to feel mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really good. How does that make you feel that he made that commitment to you to um, to do that? 
Well, that's it's it's kind of amazing because I think when God puts you in a place where he wants to use you, it's not just about us, it's how we can encourage other people mm-hmm. and how God wants to use our story. So just as that part is difficult, when I travel with Ridley, there are so many people that say, how can you sit here and watch him cry over his first wife and how how do you handle that? And with my kind of past, it would some would think that would be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I respect Sarah, his first wife, because he is who he is as a result of spending time with her. Um, my first ministry is to him and taking care of him. And so there's this um, weird and beautiful dynamic of both of us having a past that is is hard and doesn't make sense sometimes. But when we look at it as God's going to use that, then it gives you this understanding and this ability to walk through it and allow him to use it for other people. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. And I think it's important to go back and, and reiterate something I said, just in case somebody missed it. None of this is easy. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make it sound like, Hey, we picked up a book and boom, it was there. Uh, forgiveness is not easy. Learning to trust again is not easy. And sometimes you take steps back, but part of loving each other is this grace that we give each other to, to take those steps back and then grab them by the hand and say, okay, now it's time to move forward again. Right. Right. So, hmm. uh, Tell me about the forgiveness part. Uh, what, when you um, tell me when you're at your lowest, uh, in the sense of you might be angry mm-hmm. or sad, or to be honest, uh, some of the lowest points are when I get mad at Lisa. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we have disagreements, I, I or not just that, but you know, when we have low points financially as a family, or we go through difficulties and trials as a family. There's this tendency to want to look back and glamorize the past and say, well, and it was just so good then. And mm-hmm. it was. I don't want to deny that, but there's a, it's real easy to look back at the past and forget all the blemishes, to forget mm-hmm. the pains, to forget the realities that were there. Um, to play so, a comparison game. Yeah, easily to play a comparison game. Uh, in a lot of ways, if you remember the story of, of the Egyptians, uh, I mean, excuse me, the Israelites leaving Egypt mm-hmm. in the Bible when they're in the middle of the wilderness, there's just a really strange point there where they go, <laughs> can we just go back to Egypt? It was so good there. <laughs> and you want to slap them up against the head and say, really, do you remember that you were slaves? Right. Well, it's a, it's not a great comparison because I wasn't a slave, but I was, I was in a normal marriage. Mm-hmm. It was a great marriage. I had a great wife, wonderful children, but we had our ups and downs. We had our financial troubles. Mm-hmm. We had our moments of sickness and illness, those kinds of things. Nothing different than what I experience now. But there's a tendency sometimes as humans to try to glamorize something that we don't have because we think it's better than what we do have. When you think of uh, your son, the 17 month old who, mm-hmm. who passed, um, what, uh, what comes to mind in in terms of uh, do you think about where he would be today? I'm just asking you frankly. I'm, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. Yeah, there are times. One of the things I do as part of the presentation is I show a little video uh, that that shows pictures of the accident, that shows pictures of my son while he was in the hospital and the process that he was actually starting to heal. Um, shows the funeral, those kinds of things. And as I watch that video week after week showing that presentation, there are moments when anger wells up inside of me Mm. because I think this isn't fair. He should be here. There are moments of sadness because I go, gosh, what what he could have possibly done. Uh, Mm -hmm. Could have grown up to cure cancer, could have been president, could have been 
Just an amazing son, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, I have missed all those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Missed every single one of them. I won't even have a chance to get a glimpse of what that's like. Mm-hmm. And in those moments is when I have my deepest pain, my deepest depression in regards to him. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, I've told people a lot of times, I, I really don't feel sorry that I don't have him here because my belief is he's where I want to be. Mm-hmm. I feel sorry that I got stuck here. <laughs> he got to go ahead of me, you know? Right. I, I, there, there's this part of me that goes, you know what? My son will never have to be sick again. My son will never have to face depression. My son will never have to worry about asking a girl on a first date or wearing braces because mm-hmm. he's in a place where I am trying my best to get to. Tell me, uh, uh, were you able able to ever talk to either of the people that you needed to forgive? I did get a brief conversation on the phone with the pharmacist. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, Eight months after the time that I went back, spoke to the hospital, she had an opportunity not to be there that day, but to actually see a video copy of the presentation I did that day. And in that presentation, I told her I had forgiven her. She called me one night on the phone, and uh, I had an opportunity to say, person to person, I want you to know I have no ill will towards you. I want you to go on with your life and not worry what I think about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a freeing moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she she said at the time, she said, I just needed to hear that from you because I wanted to know I could go on with my life. And I said, listen, I, I do. I want you to go on with your life. I'm sorry it took eight months for you to hear a message I gave the hospital literally the day after the event. Uh, and she said to me, she said, you know what? You don't apologize for me, anything for me, mm-hmm. uh, because what I did to you has hurt your family and those kind of things. I said, you know what? It's done. Let's mm-hmm. move on. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So here you are today. Um, You've been in ministry for how many years? Well, I've been in ministry for over 25 years now. I started out as a 19-year-old student ministry Mm -hmm. years and years ago and did student ministry for about 15 years, and then I pastored for a while. Mm -hmm. And then uh, probably, I guess it's been six years now since I stepped away from ministry in a church to what now my wife and I call ministry without walls. Yeah. Tell Tell us about that. Tell us about all that you're doing now, I mean, obviously, you you started speaking in hospitals about what do you call it? Post what? What is the type of the, the, people that you speak to? Well, it's uh, it's healthcare workers, healthcare leaders, people who serve in healthcare industry in any regards. And the presentation is actually called "Every Half Second Counts." Yeah, um, and it's it it talks about the importance of what they do, the the importance of why they do it with such painstaking care. Uh, it helps to reengage healthcare workers who have pulled away from what called them into healthcare in the first place. But more than anything else, it's about forgiveness. It's about grace, those kinds of things. And so um, we talk about the hope that can be found mm-hmm. and just in the promise that I have another day of life to live. And so yeah. with that, there is hope. I, I do a message. A lot of times I, I tell people, you know, all you need is about 10 seconds of courage. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we take years upon years upon years yeah. of holding it in of of being afraid to to confront something or deal with an issue but really it if it if you just would take the first 20 seconds that's the hardest yes and so it reminds me about that when you say every half second counts tell me can you expand on the every half second counts yeah, absolutely. thought? So what happened is about 3 weeks after the accident I had a, a good friend of mine who walked in my office one day he looked at the pictures I had of the van from the accident I had taken for an insurance agent, and they were laying on my desk. And he started looking at them. He said, how fast were these vehicles going when they hit each other? And I said, the uh, Georgia Highway Patrol said they were both doing about 55 miles an hour. And he said, 
Do you realize that at that speed, if your van had arrived at this intersection just one half of a second sooner or later, this wreck would have never happened and mm-hmm. your family would be at church with you tonight? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously left an impression on me. So now, regardless of the audience, because Lisa and I have the opportunity to speak to married couples, to men and women. Uh, I've had the privilege of speaking at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, to soldiers who are returning from Iraq. Uh, whatever the setting is in, whatever the audience, I think it's a truth that is important for all of us to understand. We control how we respond in the half seconds of life. Mm. Choices that are given to us, choices to face our fears, choices to do the right thing or to turn and look the other way. Um, choice to, to look at a text message while we're driving. I mean, mm. It's a message we try to convey to our kids. So over the course of our life, over hundreds of thousands of times, we'll be given the choice in a half second to do right or to do wrong. Mm. And what we do with that half second choice not only affects us, but it affects our families. And in the case of a pharmacist that didn't double check a medication that day, it affected families she had never met in her mm. life mm. in ways she never dreamed. Wow. So your ministry together six, seven years now. Uh, together. How do you, how, Lisa, what do you do? I know we know Ridley does, does most of the talking. He's the front man, but what do you, what, how do you get involved? I actually um, coordinate all the events before we go and work with whoever our audience is going to be. And then I go and I pray for him and pray for the opportunities. And we have seen some incredible things as far as the timing. We have in the six years we've been doing this full-time, have never solicited anywhere we go. Mm. We just trust that if the door is open and we've been invited, that that's an opportunity to, for us to be obedient. And um, we've we've seen people that on the day we've arrived somewhere have been suicidal mm. and written a suicide note for a, a wife. And we were able to get him some counseling and involved in a church. We've seen divorced people come out of the audience and and talk to me and I didn't even have to be on stage just Mm. the presence of being there and allowing the Holy Spirit to just really work Mm -hmm. Um, I sell books at the events and I bring she does speaking herself she's an outstanding (laughs) lady speaker she's not giving herself very much credit there but she uh, she does a great job of teaching women Mm. um, especially women who have been through difficult circumstances not just divorce but death and even a struggling weak marriage she does Mm. a great job with encouraging women in that regard so that's another part of what we have been able to do over the course of the last six years out of a result of what we have been through. Mm. How do you do that, Lisa? How do you, how do you counsel women specifically? I mean, what, what, what is your typical way that that works? Um, a lot of times that's one-on-one. Um, I teach a class for ladies at church that are looking for hope. Um, uh, sometimes I blog, we do videos on our Facebook. I love page. your videos. Yeah. Um, just any, Anytime we can encourage, I feel like there were people that walked alongside of me during those times. And I I tell people all the time, it's the balance of only looking backwards to trace God's goodness and grace to where you are. And when you keep a mindset of understanding what it was like to have been in those shoes, then you can authentically love on other people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to always look back and tap into some of the... The past not, stuff. I think it's, I'll be honest, we both face seasons of really being weary from uh, reflecting on our past mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. When we go on these trips, a lot of people say, oh, it's so great you get to go travel. And a lot of times we have to go back to a hotel room and pray and eat some chocolate and <laughs> spend some time building memories for ourselves mm-hmm. in a forward 
um, motion yeah. while we spend the majority of our time reflecting back. Mm. And I feel like with time, our ministry is turning more and more that direction. Um Moving beyond the past. In fact, my wife challenged me about a month ago to start thinking about a verse, a theme verse for 2017, which mm-hmm. I had never done much of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm probably a lot of people should. do words. Yeah, I, I usually do more of a word kind of thought kind of thing. She said, "Think about a verse." And then a few weeks ago, God just brought to me 40 Isaiah 43:18-19, and mm-hmm. I read that verse many, many times. But you know, the Ridley translation of it in my head is just this: God says, "Forget the former things. I'm about to do something new, and you better have your eyes open because you're going to miss it." <laughs> I like the Ridley translation. That's good. That's good. So that's your verse. Um, yeah, we have a verse this this year as well. It's the verse in uh, Isaiah about the oaks of righteousness oh, displaying yeah. the splendor, Lord's splendor. It's something that something that we uh, we resonate with for for our year this year too. That's awesome, I love it. Um, so uh, you, you know, I'm looking at your website here, Ridley Barron. It's R I D L E Y B A R R O N dot com. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people? How do you? How do you work? Are you a nonprofit? Are you for profit? I'm just curious how you. We really don't operate. know what we are. Quite okay. honestly, we tried that process a couple of years ago of wanting to be a nonprofit, mainly because we were looking towards the possibility of opening up a facility to help suck second victims from healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, those healthcare workers who've made these tragic mistakes, and mm-hmm. an attempt to help them heal and get back to work and those kinds of things. So we started that process, and after over a was it a two-year process? Almost three years with the IRS trying to explain to them what we do. <laughs> they didn't like any of the answers, and they, mm-hmm. we never got approved. So we just finally dropped it. We thought we were wasting a lot of energy and time here doing this. Let's mm-hmm. just go back to doing ministry. Right. So that's kind of where we are. We're doing ministry, paying our taxes faithfully, in case yeah. anybody from the IRS is listening. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, just uh, just kind of doing our thing. Uh, like she said, waiting for doors to open, wherever that may be, whether it's a school, a church, a hospital. Um, just wherever you can come in to speak. People ask me all the time, who will you speak to? And I I tell them, if you'll put five people together in a room, I'll come see you. Yeah. Well, you're speaking to about, uh, about 1100 people in the courageous community. So, uh, not everybody listens all at once, but, um, but definitely you're going to have a a great audience. So I'm looking at the website here. Uh, and, uh, you, you, we have, we're clear about the hospitals and medical organizations, colleges and universities. What are the kind of things that you, you talk about there. Well, we've done a little bit of work with uh, mainly medical schools, nursing schools, pharmacy uh, schools, gotcha. trying to get those healthcare workers before they get out on the, mm-hmm. the front lines of healthcare, uh, trying to leave an impression with them about the importance of what they do and why it's important they listen to rules and policies and procedures because they make a difference as far as safety is concerned. We've also done a lot of work recently with young adults, just that stage of life <clears> where <throat> you're moving from being a teenager to being an adult, trying to figure out your place in this world, what your purpose is. Yep. Any books you recommend for people, for young adults to read? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Can I just be, be vulnerable? And just say, go to the Bible. Go to you the Bible. I, I I love to read. Okay. Let's just <clears> put that <throat> on the table. And I, I love to read a lot of different things. But one of the things I learned my next to the last year as a pastor was we spent a lot of time reading people's thoughts on the Bible and very mm. little time reading the Bible. 
Amen. And um, and that's one of the weaknesses as, as believers for many of us is because we talk about something we say we believe in, but we don't really even know what that is. It's like when somebody tells you the truth and they whisper it to you and then you whisper it to the next person and, whis- and oh, by yeah. the, the hundredth yeah. person, uh-huh. it's a totally different truth. It's not even truth Absolutely. anymore. Absolutely. And we also know too, unfortunately, we have seen over just even the last few years, guys who started out on the right path have gotten misled by some of the fame and the, the stuff that's come along. So it's really dangerous to put your faith in a man's interpretation of scripture and mm. not just go to the scripture yourself. Yeah. Um, because sometimes, unfortunately, men do what men do and they sin. Yeah. yeah. You know, and all of us are that. Yeah. I made a commitment to, to read the Bible this year. <laughs> just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I can finish it in a year, but regardless, just getting into God's word, I've just Absolutely. sensed such a difference mm-hmm. just in my year. And it's been about five years since I made that commitment, mm-hmm. you know, where it's been spotty before, but getting into the word every day, there's just some groundedness there yeah. that, uh, yeah. what, how do you recommend reading scripture? Well, you know, I've done the read the Bible through in a year kind of thing, which I think is really good because when you read it through in, in a year, um, it, it sets the context of everything that's going on in Scripture. Now, here's the real challenge. I one time did it in 90 days. What? Yeah, and that, and that was huge, and it was not always easy. Mm-hmm. But when you do that, it makes it much easier to take something that happened in the Old Testament and understand why it was important for what's going on in the New Testament because you just read about it like, a week ago right. instead of years ago. Right, know? right. So that was really cool. But um I I you know, I think it's it's hard to to suggest a certain plan or a certain way to do it because we're at different places and stages in our life. I would encourage you to do two things when you do it though. Number one, pray that God's spirit leads you to understand scripture instead of anything else in our culture. Because mm-hmm. our culture tries to influence our interpretation of the word. And number two Take it in small doses. Right. Don't overwhelm yourself by trying to read an entire book or even an entire chapter every day, because sometimes that can be an issue. Yeah. Um, sometimes God's word is so rich, sometimes all it takes is one word to get your heart moving if right. you're ready. Right. So just to just to pick up the word on a regular basis. One of the things I was challenged with late last year, really a truth that, that has left a good impact on me in, in such a positive way. So many of us as Christians try to pray for God's will. I want to know God's will. I want to understand it. And that's good. But I was challenged. If we would pray to know God, then knowing God's will would be much easier. You know? It's Man, you make like a lot of sense. Me and my neighbor right here. I mean, mm-hmm. unfortunately, how long have you lived here now? Yeah, know. five years. Five years. This is the longest conversation we've ever had. This is incredibly sad. It's very sad that we have to admit this. Mm-hmm. I could say for years, I know Eric Nordoff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know Eric Nornoff. Right. And so for several years, I could have guessed as to what Eric's favorite team, favorite food, or favorite place to hang out was. Mm -hmm. But if I would spend time getting to know Eric, then the rest of that would be easy to answer because I would know him. That is so good. I don't know why it has to be so much more complicated than that. It doesn't. I think the culture messes with it. Yeah, we have a tendency to want to do that. As Mm -hmm. as people, as human beings, we tend to complicate things. Mm -hmm. And God tried to make it as simple as possible. He said, seek me first. That's it. Right? Absolutely. Seek first the kingdom and all those other worries, all those other things are going to be added to us. That's something that's pretty fresh on my mind, too. Um. Good stuff. Uh, what? How about you for for women? When you deal with women's issues, um, and and how do you how do you work with them? What do you typically do? You take them through a a, a Bible study, a, a program. You just listen and talk. I mean, what is it that resonates with you right now? I I think the greatest thing is just encouragement. Um, 
taking real life experiences and filtering it through God's word. Um, I'm by no means an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still learning and figuring things out myself, but it's just resting in that we don't have to know, but God knows. And so my phrase to ladies a lot of times is finding peace in the pieces. Hmm. And God's word says, gather, he gathers the pieces and he lets nothing be wasted. So, um, where I can tend to think I've wasted a lot of time making wrong decisions in the past, God's using those. And it's my job to allow him to use them for his glory. So, I like that. Peace in the pieces. I love that. Peace in the pieces. There's some great stuff here, guys. I can't wait for the courageous community to get a hold of this and, um, and, uh, and live on this. Okay. So, um, you uh people can find you on ridleybaron.com right yes. and we also have a facebook page ridley baron well it's ridley baron incorporated i think technically mm-hmm. that was a part of the whole irs thing <laughs> <laughs> so uh but if you search ridley baron you'll you'll find it there's not very many ridley barons in the world no not many at all so we'll look for both of you there and uh and connect with you would would it be okay if i added you into the community and oh yeah uh, absolutely maybe yeah. you could interact with some people if yeah. they if they absolutely. mention you yeah, we would love to Can do that. Can we promote it on our Facebook page? Please. Okay. Promote away. Absolutely. We would love to do that. Um, any chance we get to encourage people who are seeking after God and looking for answers, we want to do that, whatever that format may look like. So, That's awesome. I'm yeah. so grateful to be able to uh, promote what you're doing. I think it's a very, very important message. Hope, healing, forgiveness uh, are the three main um, really uh, stable aspects of life that we can we can uh, count on we can we can act on and um, those are choices that we make every half second whether we believe it well thank you lisa baron and ridley baron for joining me on the courage cast you guys are awesome